I trust the movement. I negate the chaos. Uplift the negative. I'll show up at the table again and again. Welcome to Grassroot Ohio. Conversations with everyday people working on important issues here in Columbus and all around Ohio. I'm Carolyn Harding, and today I'm talking with Sherry Fleming and Susan Cattrall, water protectors of the Michindo Aquifer. According to EPA.gov, in 2007, the city of Bryan, Ohio, applied to U.S. EPA to designate the Michindo Aquifer as a sole source aquifer. That designation means the aquifer is the only source of drinking water for people in a nine-county area that includes parts of three states, Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio. Sherry Fleming is the chairperson for the Williams County Alliance, a grassroots 5013C citizen group, promoting a sustainable future through education and citizen action. The Alliance has been involved with issues such as factory farms, tire pyrolysis, fracking, and water privatization. Sherry graduated from OSU with a degree in animal science production. She and her husband, Ted, live in a small homestead in Williams County. Sherry also serves on the board of the Ohio Community Rights Network and is coordinator for the Bryan Food Co-op. Susan Kipfer Cattrall was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and currently resides in Hamilton, Indiana. She is married with five adult children. Susan is a direct support professional employed by Full Potential, Inc., and she's the DSP of her two adult sons on the autism spectrum. Advocating for her disabled children led her to activism. She's an organizer for United Activists of Fort Wayne. She volunteers at the local animal shelter, Literacy for Companionship, and serves as the treasurer for Feline Fixers. Susan serves as the precinct chair of her township with the Democratic Party in Steuben County and is an active member in the Green Party of Northeast Indiana. Susan lives over the aquifer in Indiana. And in 2018, she created the Mission Doe Water Warriors Facebook page after she became aware that there was an effort to sell water from the aquifer to the Toledo area. Susan's work to raise the awareness of the people and the electeds in Indiana. Welcome you both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. In your newly released book, Death by Democracy, Sherry, you wrote a chapter and you chronicle what your community organization, the Williams um, County Alliance, has been through to protect the Mission Doe Aquifer, your sole drinking water source. Let's talk about the Mission Doe Aquifer and where it is. Cherry? Um, okay. Um, the Machindo is located right in the area where Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan come together, and it does cover a nine-county area. Um, one of the things that people tend to think is that an aquifer is this huge body of water like a lake underground, which is not what it is. Um, the Machindo was formed about 14,000 years ago as the glaciers began to recede, and as it melted, it dropped all this different types of material of sand and gravel, clay. And so what we have is really an aquifer system, which has some boundaries, walls, but within those boundaries are different lenses that exist vertically and horizontally. And the interesting thing is there are connections between these lenses. So if you pump in one area, 
you could end up affecting areas further away over time. Okay. And Susan, tell us about the area of, of the Missionville Aquifer where you live in Indiana. Okay, I live in Steuben County, and we're known as the uh, Land of Lakes, 101 Lakes. We are a big tourism. That's that is our draw. So when all this happened, a lot of people in the lake really concerned because that's our livelihood here in Steuben County. I mean, in the summer, Steuben County grows three times its size just because of the lakes that we have. And so everyone's thinking, what's going to happen to all of our lakes? our tourism, our, the money that comes into Steuben County, if we see something happen to the aquifer, because it's going to affect our lakes, our lakes are going to drain down. So why did your community first organize? And tell us a little bit about the history of, of your work, um, Sherry. Um, really, in this area, you saw the community come together in the late 90s over the factory farm issue. And um then in 2006 was when the Williams County Alliance actually formally organized as a 501c3. And it was due to the factory farm issue. But as time progressed, we found ourselves finding other issues. And in the last four years, it's been water privatization. So tell us a little bit about that first fight with water privatization. Um, there was an effort to sell water to the communities located around the Toledo area. And um, we, in response, I guess, we realized the way the system was set up that the state preempts the communities at the local level from having any power. That we had worked with the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund in the past. And so we worked on putting a county charter initiative on the ballot. And during that process, we ran into the effects of, I believe it was House Bill 463, which restricted the right, certain rights to citizen initiative. And we ended up not, even though we had more than enough signatures to put the initiative on the ballot, it wasn't allowed to be placed on the ballot. And within the charter, we advocated for local self-government and also recognizing the right of the Machindo Aquifer to exist and flourish. So you advocated for rights of nature. Right, right. And then later on, someone from your community or from Toledo area or that was a chamber of commerce? Well, actually it was our state representative, James Hoops. It was during uh, 2000, we began working on the charter initiative in the beginning of 2019. And later that fall, I think it was the biennial budget bill. Uh, it was representative Hoops inserted language on behalf of the chamber of commerce, which basically preempted people being able to uh, enact rights of nature initiatives in the state of Ohio. And probably in reaction to several other communities trying to do the same thing. Right. At that time, the Lake Erie Bill of Rights had actually been passed in Toledo. So, And as folks in the almost every chapter of Death by Democracy, the book, they're all communities that have been working on bills of rights, have all experienced that state preemption issue. Right. 
and how easy it was for your representative to come and insert that language into the state law to make it impossible or you know illegal for you to protect your water. Mm-hmm. Completely unjust. Right. Let's move on though. I Susan, I follow I, your Facebook page, Mission Dill Water Warriors. Tell us about your path to becoming a water warrior. I believe it was in 2018, I came across um, a Facebook post about a protest in Bryan, Ohio, the Alliance. And so I started doing some research into the aquifer. I never realized where my water came from. You know, I just, I live in a rural area. I just take it for granted. So I went to Brian to the protests. I met Sherry. I met others from the Alliance and concerned about the Toledo deal. So I started the Facebook page. And also I was, I was in a group in Indiana called the Community Coalition for Change at that time. I took this to them and they, the group just ran with it. We ran, we had informational meetings in two different cities in Angola. And then another group picked it up and had an informational meeting in Auburn. Um, We had a professor that stepped in to help us with, um, with all kinds of information. So it just, everything just really picked up once I became aware, it was just getting that awareness of actually what was going on and how it could affect us. Well, I know that, um, Sherry, you run a homestead, but how about you, Susan? Are you in the rural community, in the world, working on the land? Do you farm or are you just living in a village, in a town? I live mm-hmm. on the north side of Hamilton Lake. I don't live right on the lake. There's a big swamp in between me and the lake, but I have lots of places back here. I live in the woods and I have lots of places where the water just literally bubbles up out of the ground. And I, you know, as I'm walking through the woods, I'm thinking, what's going to happen to places like that? You know, and all the wildlife that depend on that if something happens to our aquifer. Yeah. And of course, Sherry, your, your homestead depends on the water you've, you've known and, and have had. Oh, right. I mean, we're just really blessed and it's something I think we've taken for granted, but it's really touched a nerve. I mean, the water issue. And I, I think the fact that the aquifer, you know, extends, I mean, Williams County where I live is basically dependent on the aquifer, the entire County, but it, going into Michigan and into Indiana, and then there are multiple counties that it covers, and you begin to see the restrictions from existing law, where if we were to recognize ecosystems, like an ecosystem like the Machindo Aquifer, that we could protect it as an ecosystem, and you wouldn't have all these boundaries, these county lines, these state lines, that you could truly protect an ecosystem. And it's so prohibitive, the structure of law that we're forced into that really doesn't allow us to protect it. So we have an Ohioan, we have an Indianian, and you have a Michigan activist working on this issue. Yes. Can you tell me about this person? We're working with a man named Ted Lepresto. He's with the Hillsdale County Conservation Club. And that's where a second fundraiser is going to be held in June. And so, yes, uh, we did a three-state petition to all of our governors, and we, they did it in Michigan, I did it in Indiana, and the Alliance did it in Ohio. And what did this petition say? It was asking for protection for the aquifer. Was it specific? It was specific just to the aquifer. To, we were trying to get the governors to uh, step up and work together because you're talking about three different states. So you're talking about a lot of different water laws in each different state. 
So that's what we were trying to do. We did, they did end up making a commissioner's group where commissioners from the nine counties meet. But the last time they had a commissioner's meeting, not one single one from Indiana showed up, not one. So that's a little disappointing. (laughs) Okay. So Sherry, with your um, county initiative, you went through many levels of organizing. You did the traditional organizing with, you know, protests, with petitions, with visiting your lawmakers. Then you did work with CELDEF and created the ballot initiative. And then you even went through the courts. Where is your group now regarding this aquifer and protecting the aquifer? I mean, I feel like we're back at step one again because of the actions taken by the state legislature, because some of the actions we took through our county charter initiative, the state legislature, instead of listening to the people and what they wanted and needed to protect the aquifer, they put in more restrictions to keep us boxed in from protecting it. And so we are doing some of the traditional things just because we want aqua bounty and our electeds to understand that we are not in agreement with what's happening at all. But we're also going to have to get to the point where because the system that we are expected to exist within doesn't allow us to get what we want. And so we are over time going to have to come together and begin to create a movement to create change. And that's, it's difficult because people are looking for immediate answers and it's hard because we're so channeled into accepting this is the law, this is what you can do, but we've got to learn to step outside that box and to think creatively and so that's where we're headed. And we, we happen to be lucky enough to have um, Andy Struble, who's the former water superintendent for the city of Bryan. And I mean, we're doing, he is doing with some other people in the Alliance, some monitoring up there. But I, I mean, I can foresee in the future people coming together and creating a people's council, maybe that that's something from people from Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio, and that because we're not being represented by the people that are supposed to represent us. And um, this is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio, and I'm talking with Sherry Fleming and Susan Cattrall. They're water protectors of the Mission Doe Aquifer. That is sort of what a lot of folks that are have got, tried to go through the system to protect their community from frack waste, from factory farms, from water withdrawal, state preemption has become very popular in Ohio and not just Ohio, many, many states. And we see now how the powers that be, the wealthy industries can write template law, they get their legislators to sign on, and then bam, local con- local control is handicapped, is um, handcuffed. So as activists that are determined to protect your water Susan, what's your next step? I, I want to talk a little bit about Aqua Bounty because that's something that is new, right? What is Aqua Bounty? Aqua Bounty has a facility in Indiana right now in Albany, Indiana. It's north of Muncie, and um, they're looking to expand and build a bigger, more up to date facility in uh, Pioneer, Ohio. So, what's next is 
I guess the court system, we don't see any other, anything else that we can do. We've gone to our legislators. That's gotten us to nowhere. We, in Indiana, we asked for money to study the aquifer, and that got us nowhere. The city of Angola is stepping up alone by itself with $275,000 to study their water, which will encompass most of Steuben County. But it's just, it's been frustrating from, in Indiana at least, I can't get anywhere with my legislators. They just, they will not listen. They even came to the informational meetings that we had. Our legislators were there and it still made no difference. What is aqua? What's the kind of business is it? It's GMO salmon. Oh, it's a salmon farm. It's a salmon farm, genetically modified salmon farm. Sherry, tell us a little bit more about this. Well, the facility will cover 11 acres and this Genetically engineered salmon is the first ever approved by the FDA animal for human consumption. And um, so there is a lawsuit hanging out there. Um, It was uh, put in play or initiated by the Center for Food Safety and some indigenous groups and a few other environmental groups. And they um, actually, the ruling came down that the FDA had not done enough research into what will happen to the wild salmon population when the genetically engineered salmon gets into the wild. But um, the facility being proposed for Pioneer, which is located in the northern part of Williams County, um, would pool on average about 5 million gallons of water per day, and it would turn around and dump almost, not quite, 5 million gallons per day into the St. Joe River. And so it's pretty shocking to me that the Ohio Department of Natural Resources would accept this type of facility, that this is considered a water conservation plan, that they are doing what they call, it's RAS, it's Recirculating Aquaculture System, which because the salmon needs really pure water and also at a certain temperature, some of the water will be recirculated during the day, but at the end of the day, they're still going to dump almost as much water as they're pooling. Are they filtering this water? Well, the water will, um, salmon can't handle, I guess, iron, and but our, our water out of the aquifer is extremely pure. Um, it's at an ideal temperature for salmon uh, in the low 50s. So, um, but iron, I know, is one of the things that they have to get out of the water. But why are they doing GMO? I mean, why are they doing a genetically modified salmon and not just normal salmon? Well, Atlantic salmon has been overfished and uh, habitat destruction. So rather than fix the root of the problem of, you know, reducing (laughs) the harvest and and restoring habitat, um, they say, but nutritionally, this salmon doesn't compare to wild salmon. And there's also the element, we've been lucky enough to connect with a group called Block Corporate Salmon, which is made up of indigenous tribes that the salmon is, is part of their culture. And part of their issue with this is that they were not even consulted. And I guess there are treaties that go back in the 1800s where there was an agreement that the government should have recognized and these tribes should have been allowed to been in the decision-making process of the approval of genetically engineered salmon. So, 
Are, are these indigenous tribes um, nations in the Mishindale Aquifer area? No, they're from all over the country. All over the country. Well, you know, yeah. um, my sisters, they fish salmon up in Alaska in the Bristol Bay every summer. Um, my my sister married a man from Alaska. So they they are involved in in the you know, wild salmon. And they say friends don't let friends eat farmed salmon. <laughs> because it, you know, it's just not the same thing at all. And it's, they swim in their waste, you know, it's not as, it's just not. And especially now that it's going to be genetically modified, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine why they have to modify it and not use like fish, fish um, eggs from Alaska or somewhere else. So, well, they grow, they've actually introduced, it's crossed with another salmon, the Atlantic and Chinook salmon, but there's the introduction of eel pout, which is a fish which grows all through the year. So they claim that the bonus to this fish is that it grows like twice as fast. And so it can be harvested sooner than a traditional salmon. But it's also fed, from what we understand, with probably a soybean-based diet. Um, Cargill was one of the corporations that would be feed supplier for it. It won't be organic. It'll have GMOs, (laughs) for sure. And to go back to the indigenous um, issue of um, not being consulted and not, you know, not being included, is this a reason why it is being delayed? I don't believe so. I mean, the delay was mainly um, because the judge said the FDA had, they had not done research into how the release, I mean, it is going to escape eventually if they allow these type of facilities to locate. I mean, where they're dumping into the St. Joe River, the St. Joe connects into the Maumee, the Maumee flows into Lake Erie, the Great Lakes are connected and go out to the ocean. So, it's just a matter of time um, that this could happen. Um, one, one thing that the, the indigenous group brought up is when you think about Monsanto with the GMOs, how sometimes Monsanto would sue farmers where there was seed that mistakenly ended up in fields where other farmers never intended to grow it and they sued them. They're fearful that if the genetically modified salmon breed with wild salmon that then the offspring will have genetic material that say would be aqua bounties and aqua bounty could claim they own that fish. So, I mean, it's really something that it could happen. So how far along are we with the aqua bounty? Is it a done deal or is it something that um, you guys can stop? It's not a done deal. They have broke ground, but they don't even have all their permits yet. So it's a little baffling that they're allowing them to, break ground on a facility that they're not even permitted to do. And do you have a large um, group of activists that are, are energized to, to stop this? I mean, our core group is about 15 to 18 people, but with, with COVID, I mean, things have just started to open up. So when we began to meet, I mean, we had trouble even finding a place to meet and it was a smaller group, you know, facility. So we knew if we opened that up publicly, we would have more people than we could handle. And so 
we're just now, I think things are beginning to open up from COVID. So part of that's been the problem. But I really believe that there's tremendous support behind stopping this. Um, well, I see that you have a benefit concert on May 15, 1 o'clock to 5 p.m. Can you talk about that? Maybe that would be a great place to gather and start organizing these crowds. Can you tell us about this event? Um, the event's planned in Bryan, Ohio at the Third Rail Saloon. It's uh, kind of a neat, it's an old train station that's been fixed up and we're hoping for good weather. And there, I think there's four different bands. The, the, char, the donation we're asking for is $20. And if by chance we have rain, then they're in Brian at the Eagles would be the rain date location. It would be the same date, one to five on May 15th, but it would move to the Eagles if it's raining out. And then we also have a reverse raffle planned for June 11th at the Michigan Hillsdale County Conservation Club. And that would probably start about five o'clock and the charge for that is $35 for a ticket. Okay, and now okay. how can people get more information from the Williams County Alliance and the Mission Doe um, Water Warriors? What are your, what's your Facebook names, Sherry? Ours is just, William, if you go on Facebook and do a search for Williams County Alliance. Okay, and Susan? Just go on Facebook and search for Mission Doe Water Warriors. It's a public group, so it's easy to find. Okay, so what can folks who are living all over Ohio do to help you? Come to our fundraiser. <laughs> That's the biggest thing that you can do. Support our fundraisers. Is there any way to donate without having to, without being able to come? Can, can you donate online or can they write a check? Do you have an address? Sherry? Uh, people can uh, donate we do. to the Williams Alliance. I say that again. On the Alliance's Facebook page, it lists our, we have a post office box and we are a 501c3, so it's tax deductible. And, uh, but I think people that become aware of what's happening in our community should, especially if you're located over an aquifer in Ohio, you should be very concerned. Um, and I guess I would just hope that as, I'm also on the board of the Ohio Community Rights Network. And if you wanna learn about or begin to think about different ways to strategize to protect your community, it's an ideal place to go to, to look for resources. What's their website? Um, they do have a website and um, it's an abbreviation of Ohio Community Rights Network. It is a .org, but if you Google it, it should come up if you Google Ohio Community Rights Network. And they also can buy your book, Death by Democracy, at that website as well. And it's an excellent book. I've been reading it and we're doing a series on all the different communities that have been working to protect their communities. I want to ask one more thing. What gives you hope, Susan? My biggest thing that gives me hope is that this is a non-political issue. I have found people from all over the political spectrum that are on our side in this and politics has not come into it. It's been completely nonpartisan. And that gives me hope because nowadays that's very rare to find. And you, Sherry. I, I mean, she took the words out of my mouth because it's just been you don't realize how fractured you are in your communities because, I mean, it's like 
we have all these barriers. I mean, political barriers, we have state lines, we have county lines. And, and when you see all these people come together, it's just, it is, it's hopeful. And you begin to realize how powerful people can be, even when the law doesn't necessarily give you that power, you can be powerful if you learn to come together and ignore those boundaries that have been put into place. With that, thank you so much. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.